Hello, everybody, and welcome to our brand new show at The Line Canada. We are behind the line, the facts, and the fiction. We have an incredibly intelligent, wise guest on our show today, and you're going to enjoy the information and the discussion you're about to hear. I'm joined by my co-host from California and The Shift Show, Doug McKenty. Hey, everybody. My name is Doug McKenty. I'm happy to be co-hosting this with George. Uh, we've been working on the Psychology of Lockdown series together uh, on The Shift Now. Uh, my podcast, The Shift, you can find at theshiftnow.com, and you can find that Psychology of Lockdown series. So for this, the first episode of Behind the Line, we have with us Dr. Mark McDonald. He is a, a psychiatrist who has been participating with uh, America's Frontline Doctors, and I am really looking forward to this one. These guys have been doing such powerful work here in the United States to try to educate people about what's really going on with COVID and fighting for healthcare freedom. Uh, and especially, uh, as you can tell, George and I have been really hitting this psychological angle. So the information that Dr. McDonald is going to give us today is extremely important. Um, and uh, so looking forward to the conversation. Thanks, George. Thank you, Doug. Well, Mark, Dr. Mark McDonald, welcome. We Thank really you. appreciate you uh, joining us on this show. You're, you're very welcome. So I, I took some time, Doug, you and I talked about this. We took some time to review some of your material. The, the show that got me to contact you was the one you did with, uh, I think his name was Jess. Please excuse me if I don't have the full reference to his show properly. And I was intrigued by what you had to say, namely the phrase that you coined that we're living in times of mass delusional psychosis. Now let's put that into perspective because I have a background in psychology, but not everybody listening does. So let's break that down for people to the extent that they understand how to apply it to what we're living today. Mark, please go right ahead. I think the interview you're referring to was from the Jesse Lee Peterson show. It was uh, recorded and uh, broadcast several months ago and, and received quite a bit of attention. And then it was rebroadcast just recently, maybe three or four weeks ago, on drmercolamd.com right. or mercola.com, where it just sort of blew up. And I've been uh, getting uh, amazing uh, reception comments, uh, questions, uh, requests for further explanation from, from the United States, Canada, and all over, all over the world, actually, uh, South America and England, which really surprised me because what I said in my mind isn't that um, surprising or complicated. It seems so obvious. And yet I think for a lot of people who have been living this nightmare, this uh, pandemic of fear now for a year, they haven't been able to put it into words. So apparently what I've done that has been so helpful, at least that's what the feedback is, is that I've been able to put into words what people have been living for so long and, and not really been able to explain. They just felt it. They knew something was wrong, but they really didn't know how to define it. And I defined it as a delusional psychosis, which in my view is an extension or a, a de-evolution, uh, a sort of next stage really, in the process of living in fear for a very, very long time. You can be afraid, uh, you can worry, uh, you can take measures to protect yourself, um, which may be rational, maybe not rational. But what really started to irk me and make me uncomfortable was that after a few months into this uh, giant global closure and shutdown of life as we knew it, I started to see that it wasn't just fear that was driving people, it was actually a fixed false belief that everything that was happening to them and they were being told was actually real and that there really was no way for anybody to safely pursue their day-to-day -day life, to go to school, to work, to play, to allow their children uh, to um, live a normal life, that anything other than locking yourself in a house with a mask on 24 seven was the equivalent of murder. That's not fear. That's actual psychosis. That's insanity. And every single person that I run into when I leave my house every day that's wearing a mask while walking around outdoors, I have to assume is in a state of delusional psychosis. Hmm. 
They might just be sheep. They might be scared of being yelled at or attacked. That's a rational fear because it's happening where I live. People pulling knives on each other, dragging them out of stores because they don't have masks. That's reality. That is real. That is actually (laughs) happening. It's happening in Canada. It's happening in the U.S. It's happening in South America. It's happening in England. I've seen the videos. But what isn't rational is the actual belief that walking around outside in a national park by yourself on a hiking trail with nobody within two miles requires you to wear a mask out of safety. That's insanity. And it's happening everywhere I go. So delusional psychosis to me is the way I describe the pandemic of fear and how it's taken grip and root in the brains of most of the people that I, uh, I used to know and, and admire. Amazing. Why do you think so many people have bought this hook, line and sinker what is the psychological tactic we already know these people are not amendable to reasoned argument as as per uh, d- part of delusion content disordered content what is it that got the hook in their mouth so bad and they're all being reeled into this boat what is the tactic that you can identify Well, I think there's two pieces to this. I think there is a tactic, and the tactic is to uh, stir, promote, and maintain fear. I think that's the tactic. But I don't think that the soil would have been amenable to that tactic 20 or 30 years ago in the United States. Mm -hmm. I can't speak for Canada, but I know for the United States, it definitely would not have been. We had a president in the 60s who famously said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Yes. Now, fear is a virtue. Fear is good. The more afraid you are, the better an American you are. You're patriotic to be afraid. It's a sign of American pride and societal um, care to walk around outside with a mask and shame people who don't have them. So fear has become good. It's been flipped. Now that even if it's sorry, it didn't just start in March. That's my point. This this was this soil had been fertilized way before the fear mechanism was put into place. It was activated mm-hmm. in March and April. The conditioning. Well, Dr. McDonald, because uh, the whole group at America's Frontline Doctors do such a great job of exposing the the misinformation that is causing the fear. Can you just go through some of the science and some of the statistics uh, that are the reality of COVID? And then uh, what we're hearing from the mainstream media and others that are blowing it so far out of proportion. Sure. You know, I don't think the, I'll give you a few numbers and a few facts that I, I consider to be the foundational um, lies, really, of this whole fear, and fear pandemic. But I don't think that any of them would have stuck had the traditional valuing of courage and bravery in men and emotional containment in women uh, have been destroyed so, so heartily, so readily. Um, it's now shockingly apparent that um, men and women uh, simply have abandoned their ability to uh, push back against compliance measures and have fallen in lockstep to believe what they've been told. Right. That's the conditioning I'm talking about. And that would not have worked back in the 60s. Well, Doug, we, we talked about this pre-training, Dr. McDonald, you and I briefly touched on this when I told you that I'm tracing this back to the earliest childhood climate where I firmly believe conditioning began, or at least the understanding that we are being conditioned, albeit unconsciously, the child having no other choice but to rely on their source figures and those leading them have already bought into the idea of being conditioned. Do Are we accurate to suggest that later on in life it's much easier to get these people to go along with you having that earlier experience? Well, it certainly is. I mean, the, the triumvirate of education, media, and academia, really. When I say education, I mean K through 12. Um, but that plus academia, media, and entertainment, those real three things all combined together uh, have been um, – propagandizing and brainwashing a whole generation of children for the last 15 or 20 years to the point now where they don't even know what male and female means, what man and woman means. They believe that America is systemically racist. They believe now, and this is what we just heard, I mean, it gets worse day by day, that reopening the school system in the United States is systemically racist. 
That's what's being actually said on national television. Just today, the United Teachers of Los Angeles published their vote for, against, for or against reopening the schools and going back to school in the classroom, live, actual, real school, not Zoom school. And I was really excited to hear this because I knew what was going to happen and what the result would be. 92% of all of the teachers in Los Angeles County, the second largest county in the entire country in terms of schools, said we will not go back to school ever until all of our demands are met. And the demands are outrageous. Full vaccination for all teachers, billions of dollars in HIPAA filters, HVAC systems, mandatory distancing and masking of all children, class mm. size reduced by 50%. It, it goes on and on and on. So it's really nice to have this number because now we can say it's not just the unions, it's actually the teachers who are cowards as well and lazy, and they just want to yep. collect a paycheck. This kind of thing would never have been acceptable in the Reagan years when the air traffic controller said, we're not going to work. He said, fine, we'll fire you. We're getting a whole new group of people. We haven't had anyone say, let's fire the teachers. Why not? No. Well, and, no. <laughs> and I just, to establish the baseline on the science, and especially with the school issue, there is literally no science. Am I correct about this? That's saying that the transmission of COVID is happening through school-aged children or that, that they're going to transmit COVID to the teachers. I mean, there's no reason for this fear, scientifically speaking. Correct. And sort of to wrap back around to your original question, which I'll answer right now, is that the three lies that underlie this whole pandemic, in my mind, are the following. One, that healthy people are infecting and killing other people. That's the first lie. That's never been true in history before. There's been no respiratory disease that a healthy person who's not coughing and wheezing and bleeding and, and fevering spreads to another person, not in any meaningful way. It might happen once in a billion. I mean, lightning strikes too, but we don't fear right. outside in a rainstorm. Yeah, That's a lie. And that's what's been um, used to promote the whole distancing, masking nonsense and can't go to a nursing home, even if you're healthy because you're going to kill grandma, all that nonsense. The second lie is that all people, if they are sick from this Chinese Wuhan flu, they will all die in equal proportions, regardless of their age. That's a flat out lie. And we've known that from the very, very beginning, from probably day four or day five. And the evidence has been consistent since that time now, up to a year later. Everybody that dies of this, with rare exceptions, and they're probably some kind of weird genetic mutation that happens in every disease state. You know, people die from getting a scratch on their hand because they have some susceptibility to uh, uh, you know, a, a rapidly spreading bacterium. But generally speaking, we don't amputate limbs because we get scratches on our hands. That's absurd, obviously. So I have to say this because someone, there's always somebody who's going to say, yeah, but there was a 17-year-old who died of this out in Des Moines. So it does kill young people. No, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. More kids have died of flu in the last year and the years prior. Although, interestingly, this year, no one has died of flu. That's, that hasn't happened. Right. All flu is now it, the flu is on holiday. It's yeah. on holiday. It's, it's, it's sitting somewhere out in uh, Puerto Rico waiting for its, uh, <laughs> its return ticket. Uh, but it has to test negative before it can come back. So 99% so, so of all of the people, everybody in the United States, Canada, around the world are basically immune to serious illness, hospitalization, or death from this virus. It, it's, it's irrelevant for them. 1% are at some risk. The statistics are very straightforward. If you're under age 17, your survival rate of getting infected is 99.997%. That's without any treatment, no treatment. If you're between right. 17 and 40, it's about 99.98%. If you're over age 70, over age 70, that's the first age bracket where the survival rate drops below 99%. Now, this is with no treatment, and this is with all people combined together, I'm including frail, uh, morbidly obese, people with diabetes, autoimmune disorders, cardiovascular disease, you exclude those people, now you're down to even lower because only 6% of the population that's died of this and with this disease were actually healthy people, 6%. Now, there's a distinction I have not heard. This is without treatment. Correct. 
And and this is a new way of counting pandemic viruses or, or pandemic deaths and cases, right? Like they've never, if they counted the flu the same way, the numbers would be astronomical. But when COVID came around, they change it. And all of a sudden they're counting these deaths with people uh, with comorbidities. And, and I, I think the important thing that when I came to this realization is that people die of old age all the time because they catch the flu and they don't count that as a flu death, but they do count it as a COVID death. So you're getting people over 70 with a 5% chance of death if they get this thing. Um, and they're that's counting correct. it as a COVID death. I mean, that's, you well, can't compare. Death in the United States is around 77 to 79 years old, whether depending you're male or female. The average age of death attributable to this coronavirus is about 77 to 79 years old. It's about 80. You know, it kind of depends on what county, what state you look at. So it gives her averaging. So what that means is that the average person who is dying of Chinese Wuhan flu has already in the actuarial table died. They're already living on borrowed time. Mm -hmm. So to say that this person would not have died were it not for getting this infection is, is a nonsensical statement. They probably would have died catching a cold, would have died um, sitting off in their chair and falling and breaking their hip. There's so many reasons why people die of old age, mainly that they're old and frail, that this is just one of hundreds of factors that at the very, very worst may have led them to lose three, six, at most 12 months of life. So I think it would be far more fair and honest and transparent to rather than to say we've lost X hundreds of thousands of lives to say we've lost X <clears throat> hundreds of thousands of months of life, months of life and years of life. And I bet that that number would be incredibly lower than what we actually suspect. There's a difference between a 10-year-old dying and a 79-year-old dying. It's huge. It, it actually is, is, is the most important fact. And this idea that there is, as you just said, Doug, that this is without treatment is a very important distinction because the third lie, which is driving this unending quest to, in, in, to, to scare people into just staying at home forever, mm -hmm. is that there is no treatment. That's been a lie from the very beginning as well. We've known since January, even before uh, President Trump announced that hydroxychloroquine was effective, we knew that hydroxychloroquine actually worked about 60 to 80% of the time to effectively cure the early stages of this illness. And we know that because all of the doctors had bought up the supply over six weeks before Donald Trump ever mentioned it. They bought it all out. And if doctors know that, they, that they're stockpiling something is effective, you better damn believe that, that, it's, that it's real. Doctors wouldn't do that if they didn't believe it. It was only after Trump went out and said that hydroxychloroquine was effective that the whole medical establishment turned against it. Now, since then, we've seen dozens of papers published, not just on hydroxychloroquine, but hydroxychloroquine with zinc, vitamin D, and now in the last three to six months, ivermectin. Mm -hmm. And these studies, when they're done properly and they're controlled and they're actually giving the drugs appropriately, meaning in the early stages of illness and with zinc, which is absolutely critical. Zinc is like the bullet in the gun. You give someone a gun with no bullets, it's useless unless you hit someone over the head with it. So these studies have shown consistently and these are placebo controlled one was just published well it's it's about to be published the data is now public in israel placebo controlled trial using ivermectin showed six-fold decrease in hospitalizations and deaths compared to placebo six-fold decrease we're looking at 60 to 80 percent reduction in hospitalization and death for people of all ages who receive ivermectin hydroxychloroquine zinc vitamin d or some combination of that either prophylactically or in early stages of illness. So think about this. If we could have reduced our hospitalizations and deaths by 60 to 80%, given that the whole idea of shutting the country and the world down back in March was flattening the curve, it wasn't keeping everybody alive. It was flattening the curve, lowering hospitalizations. This would have shut the whole pandemic down in the whole world within 30 to 60 days. Absolutely. All of this would have been over by April at the latest, maybe May. But we're still here a year later, and we're still telling people there is no treatment except experimental remdesivir for $4,000 an injection in a hospital or putting somebody on a ventilator in the ICU and just praying that they don't die like 70% of everyone else on a ventilator. This is, this is no longer a mistake. This is an actual 
massively managed controlled lie. And again, it's based on the three previous lies. And the third one is there's no treatment. And if these lies were exposed, that healthy people spread disease, that everybody dies at equal risk and rate, that children are just as liable to get sick and die and kill other people than a 50, 67 year old person, and that there's no treatment. If all of that were exposed, this would be over. Absolutely. Doug, we talked about this on our show, the gullibility of people, the blind obedience. With stark evidence of the contrary, it completely gets ignored. They continue on with the false evidence appearing real, the disease of the fear that is uh, absolutely blocking a more sensible way forward for these people. The social engineering that these oligarchs have put forth has clearly been well thought out. It seems that they've covered some of the escape hatches, but it seems to me now that people are starting to catch on. They're not as tight as they thought they were. Maybe in the beginning they had us, but now people are really starting to latch onto it. To the extent now that we see doctors in Ontario who are now being issued cautions. One doctor in particular, and we'll have IT put these links up and whatnot as we, uh, as we get through this. Um, one Ontario physician was just told that she is inappropriate and unprofessional for advising the public that there is no need for a vaccine, there is no pandemic, and if you believe otherwise... Then there's other issues we got to deal with, but she has been cautioned three times now, and I believe she's on the verge of getting booted. Dr. McDonald, what would you say to that doctor? Well, I would say this is the inevitable end result of state-controlled medicine first. Mm -hmm. uh, you cannot practice medicine when the government is dictating your decisions, and that could be England, that could be Canada, and these are the most well-known public health systems uh, in the English-speaking or Western world. And I'm not surprised that it's come to this because it was heading in this direction for a very long time. If you want to practice medicine, you need to be able to practice independently. And if there is control, it needs to be controlled by peers and colleagues, people who know what you know and are accountable, not a government system run by bureaucrats whose interests are not medical. They're bureaucratic, political, and financial and they do not coincide with your interests, which is to elevate the patient's well-being, in other words, beneficence to the patient above all else. The government's mandate or um, uh, what would you call it? Uh, motivation. Motive, not, yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah. ML. It's survival, it's aggrandation of power. And to some degree, assuming that they're not malicious, the individuals, it's to help spread a sort of egalitarian um, delegation of resources across the population, which has its own, you know, arguments for and against. I'm certainly not for it, but I understand how someone could argue for it. But the problem is the corruptive process involved in having a top-down approach to medicine leads to this sort of nonsense. Because the woman who is uh, attacking this doctor is in the, the agency is probably doing it out of pressure from another agency because they all have to get their ducks in a row. And the decision to, for example, push a vaccine on the population is directed by a whole conflagration, a cabal really, of different um, alignments of political and private sector forces that have absolutely no interest in helping people on an individual basis. Zero, none whatsoever. Right. In the United States, the only reason why the vaccine was allowed under emergency use authorization was that it fulfilled the federal requirement. I'm speaking of Moderna, Pfizer, mRNA experimental vaccines right now, that it fulfilled the um, EUA under federal guidelines for a medical uh, procedure or device or drug, in this case, it's a therapeutic, that treats an illness for which there is no other available treatment accepted or authorized. Now that explains why 12 months later, we still don't have any major medical organization or government agency supporting and authorizing the use of zinc, vitamin D, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, right. because mm -hmm. if they were, if they did do that, the federal government could not under federal law allow these experimental vaccines to go into production 
before four or five years of time had passed because they would have right. been required to fulfill all of the standard testing and safety requirements for every other drug or vaccine, which are very stringent. I'm not yeah. saying they're perfect, but they are stringent. This, these two vaccines in the U.S. came out after only eight weeks of human trial, and they're brand new. mRNA has never been And they skipped the animal trials, which I believe Correct. for RCTs is the most important part of the trial. It's so important because you need the generational cumulative damage and risk effect to be assessed, which you can't do in human beings unless mm. you wait 15 or 20 years. So well, that's why me... pregnant women were excluded from the trial, as were children. Right. Doug, we, I think we talked about this. There is a parallel in the d dysfunctional approach they've taken to the production of the vaccine that we've noticed in masks. There are no random controlled trials for mask efficacy. Um, one of our research scientists, uh, Danny Rancourt for the Ontario Civil Liberties Association, just released another study on mask efficacy. Um, we'll put that up for the viewers uh, when we release this. So what do you see the parallel of irresponsible medical conduct being applied to the vaccine that we can generally say is notable in the uh, masking expectations uh, that we're seeing here and abroad? It's identical, and it's based upon the same motivation that I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, uh, or mechanism is probably a better word, which mm -hmm. is to um, maintain and stoke fear. Mm -hmm. I think that the, it's, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I find it really bizarre, actually, <laughs> that the first person to rush out and, and push grandma to the side of the road uh, to get her vaccine shot is the same person who is posting uh, nasty tweets and uh, yelling at people on nextdoor.com, the local uh, online uh, community hate group <laughs> runs across the country, <laughs> uh, about how uh, irresponsible it is for people to be uh, prescribed or given hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin to protect themselves against the woo flu. The same person is rushing to get a vaccine. She's got her baby in her belly, you know, 29 year old woman about to give birth, rushing mm -hmm. to get her vaccine. And she says hydroxychloroquine is a, is a, is a poison. These are also the same people that won't drink tap water because they want it to be filtered and alkalinized with per perfect pH because of all the um, plastic uh, and chlorine residues in the water, the people who only eat organic food. These are the same people that want to rush out and get this, this mRNA DNA altering experimental shot to save themselves from a virus that they probably won't even notice symptoms of if they even catch it. Right. So, the fear is so powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think that with the, the masks in particular, I think the mask is probably the most prominent example and symbol of this. The only reason why the masks are still around, the only one, is that they are the best, most powerful, most blatant, and most um, endemic display of fear. A mask displays fear. It connotates fear. It says, I am afraid. I, the mask wearer, am afraid. You should be too. And if right. we get rid of the mask, the fear evaporates. And now there's no more desire, need, motivation for the vaccines, <laughs> for the distancing, for the school closures, for the business closures, for the nursing home shutdowns. It all falls apart like a house of cards. There's no question. The masks actually have audio if you listen. <laughs> right. These people are screaming publicly all over the place no matter where they go they're doing this to their kids cars on bicycles in parks when they're exercising i have two gymnastic cases right now where 10 year olds two olympians as a matter of fact are being expected to wear masks and their parents are now suing the uh, gymnastics uh, organizations for their role in this Nobody is questioning it. Nobody is questioning the safety of the people, even though even those that they rely on for their own butter and bread. They're and walking billboards of fear. It's like having MS thirteen tattooed on your face. <laughs> why don't True you talk enough. about? Why don't you talk about? I've heard you discuss the damage that's being done to the children. You've equated it to child abuse, making these kids wear the masks, and what it's Definitely. doing to them psychologically. Because this, I think, is parallel to the kids. What putting an elder, you know, straight to the ventilator 
is doing to the elder population where 70% of them, you know, are going to die. They're not giving a, a pre-treatment, uh, but they're straight to the ventilator for the elders and masks on all the kids. So can you talk about the damage that's being done to the younger generation? Well, Doug, that's a really good parallel. You know, ventilators for the aged, masks for the children, mm -hmm. both completely inappropriate, unnecessary, and, and worse than that, actually abusive. I do believe, and I will say this to anyone who, who asks or who challenges me, that putting a mask on your child is child abuse. Now, I understand that in some rare cases, you don't have a choice. You're grabbing food in a store. You take your kid in. The manager says, we won't check you out unless your kid puts a mask on. You've got to get home in order to do your laundry. I understand that there are some exceptions where people just have to go and, and get their lives completed, get their tasks done, and they have to slap a stupid mask on a child for a brief period of time. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about parents who readily... Uh, allow their children to go and play sports every day wearing masks, who tell their children that um, they can only spend time with their friends if all of their friends and their own child are wearing a mask, uh, that we reopen schools with children wearing masks and, and keeping plexiglass shields around them on three sides on their desk, 12 feet apart from one another, that they can't touch each other at school, that they can't share toys or share balls. Everybody has to have their own basketball and dribble on. And they're circles. cleaning it. And they're using hand sanitizer and they're right. teaching the child to use hand sanitizer on everything that they touch. Their mothers are OCD. About I have, a, I have a, a mother who told me just yesterday that her son is being required to wash his hands and sanitize them with alcohol multiple times per hour at his new pseudo zoom school where he goes to school and he sits in front of a computer with headphones on with six other kids, only six, at a desk, can't get out of the chair unless he has an escort to go to the bathroom. And he can't go without an adult. And he has to stay six feet apart. And the teacher, believe this, <laughs> I mean, this, I, this sounds like it really does sound dystopian. The teacher zooms in from home and teaches the kids who are sitting in the classroom in front of a computer screen. Yeah. Well, his hands are actually cracked and bleeding now from all of the hand sanitizer, which, because our skin is the best barrier to infection, is actually putting him at risk of actual infection due to the cracks in his skin, despite the fact that he's not at risk of coronavirus at all. Bringing about the very results, the remedy, or so they claim, was designed to prevent. That's right. the whole problem. See, it's, it's not, a lot of people naively, and I think stupidly, foolishly, compliantly will believe and say and wrote and in unison, well, look, it's not hurting anybody. And if it just saves one life, I mean, why, why are you so, why are you so preoccupied with this mask? And I always say, well, if it's not such a big deal, then why are you so preoccupied with it? Why don't you just let it go? Clearly it is a big deal. So let's just accept that as a starting point. Now let's ask, because it's such a big deal, let's ask the question, is it a big deal because it's really necessary to save lives or is it a big deal because it's really, really hurting people because it's dehumanizing because mm -hmm. it's an emblem of what uh, for decades and centuries uh, Islamic extremism and conquering tribes have tried and failed to enforce on the conquered populations. And we've voluntarily done it to ourselves, not just on women, but on men and on children. Absolutely. Right. That is why it's a big deal. It's, I'm not just talking about skin infections and bacterial throat infections and rotten teeth, which is bad enough. I'm talking about telling children, showing children that if they don't wear a mask, that they are going to harm themselves and other people, that they should be afraid without a mask. And more importantly, depriving them of the ability to actually socialize, to play, to grow, to see faces, all of these things that children need to be free and develop have been denied them all because, and this is the key thing, all because parents, adults, those who are running the show are either ignorant, cowardly, or malicious. We are palliating adults' anxiety and sacrificing children on this false altar of safety. And Absolutely. it is abhorrent. It is, 
It is immoral. It is evil. And, and history will not judge very kindly the adults who have done this to the children. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, those are very strong, very relevant words. I just want to clear up for the listeners. And, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who are just joining us now, you're watching Behind the Line, the facts and the fiction. We are here with Dr. Mark McDonald, uh, a medical expert in in the uh, a legal medical expert in the field of psychiatry, and we're talking about many things to do with your daily experiences pertaining to masks, schools, the virus. We're breaking down some of the information that I'm sure many of you are thinking about at the dinner table or in the shower or maybe when you're out walking your dog. But it's on the minds of everyone right now. We're trying to unpack this so that you can begin to understand what's really going on in one place. We're getting little bits and pieces. We're trying to put this together to give you a substantial understanding about what's happening. Now, Dr. McDonald, I think it's fair to say that everybody around the world realizes or at least believes to some degree or getting closer to believing that this virus originated in a Wuhan lab in China. And when you call it the China virus, I don't believe or interpret that you're attempting to lend the idea that you're, you know, racist about China. You know, we don't want anybody. So please don't email us about Dr. Mark being racist. He's not. He's simply speaking truth to power. And and we have to do that. So so please don't misinterpret his words. We understand this virus did come from China. And since it did. It cannot be interpreted or spun or reorganized to make it appear as though somebody is trying to bash Chinese. That's not what this is about. We're trying to convey the message in the problem. The problem is we have a virus that came from a place. Nobody asked for it. Nobody voted for it. It's here. It's affecting lives globally. And we need to understand and you need to understand and teach yourselves and your children who are now being violated by many of the institutions we have been raised to believe are responsible for the improvement of our children and their lives. So please understand the aim of Dr. Mark and Behind the Line and the Line Canada is not to exploit the Chinese or to make them look bad. We just want to place responsibility where it squarely belongs. I want to mention something about the use of language because you brought up a very important point. Yeah. In the very beginning, in January, February, March, everyone called this the Chinese Wuhan flu. Everybody, the left, the right, the center, it was a non-political, non-charged word. And because of the fact that medicine has historically named infectious diseases from their point of origin. Some prominent examples in the United States are Rocky Mountain spotted fever, Lyme disease from Lyme, Connecticut, Central Valley fever from Central Valley, California. International examples would be Ebola and Zika. In fact, if you look back, we have the Spanish flu of the early 1900s. We have Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, also known as MERS, which came from the Middle East. There's examples domestically and internationally for the last 100 years. Never, ever in history has anyone suggested that any of these terms or words were racist, ethnocentric, uh, uh, nationalistic. There, There was never an ism attached to any of them. But this whole situation with this specific virus became so highly politicized that language needed to shift away from actually pointing blame where blame was due, which is on the Chinese government and its inept response and and actual lies and misinformation, not the people, but the government in spreading it throughout the world, that the term shifted to something really innocuous called coronavirus disease, which encompasses about 24 other cold viruses, which are all coronaviruses. And so then in order to make it more specific, the name and the term was shortened to coronavirus disease 2019 or COVID-19. That's where the term came from. And now suddenly we have this kind of non-affiliated kind of androgynous virus running around. Nobody knows where it came from and we can't really point any fingers. And so now the whole history of it is lost. That's really why this whole language debate came up. It has nothing to do with racism. It has to do with uh, transparency and honesty. And I'm really disappointed that the medical community for the first time in history has backed away from actually describing a virus from its point of origin, which has never, ever been an issue before until 2019. Well, why are they doing that? I think it has to do with a larger 
movement, uh, which I think is global. It's not American. It's not Canadian. It's not British. It's a larger global movement, um, which I believe does involve China because China is probably the major power player now in the world, militarily and economically. Uh, they're incredibly dangerous. Um, they are incredibly um, immoral. Uh, they are essentially committing genocide right now against their own Uyghur population. Uh, they've harvested organs for decades among certain religious communities. Uh, they've uh, taken over and colonized most of North Africa uh, with infrastructure and airports and ports. They're uh, threatening most of other, or the rest of Asia, including Taiwan. Uh, this, this, this is a very, very big power. And they, I believe, have grown to build allies and enemies and the allies with China have sought as much as possible to help um, deflect attention from some of the atrocities that China is committing. And this whole uh, Chinese Wuhan flu pandemic, if it were actually brought to the doorstep of China, would cause most of the world, not the whole world, but most of the world to begin to ally against China and to start aligning with themselves and each other, like with, say, India, for example, which is a huge, uh, 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 very powerful nation that can oppose China's expansion to South Asia. So if all these countries came together and started to align against China and expose uh, some of their megalomaniac uh, take over the world uh, desires, which they've had for a long time now, certainly since uh, the, the Mao. Yeah, it's not new. It's not it's, new. It's not new. It's not new at all. It's just that they now have the money and the and the um, the people. They've always had the people, but they have the money. They have the military expertise, and they have the technology. Most of it because it, it's been stolen in the last twenty years by spying and, and stealing research information from the United States and other Western countries illegally using spies. That they're able to actually go and and um, act on their their conquest desires, their nationalism. This is is, is should scare everyone. But because there are people in the United States and other countries who benefit from China, big technology, Apple, Google, uh, Amazon, they benefit tremendously from China. Defense contractors, some politicians, including some who are in office right now, have benefited financially from China. I think that there's been a huge pushback against implicating China in any way in this, what it is, in my view, the biggest man-made and avoidable disaster in human history no question uh dr mcdonald i want we're getting uh we don't have to stick it to an hour but we're, we're getting towards the end of our time together and i wanted to get back to this concept of fear that you were starting to discuss at the beginning because i think it's so important uh, in the psychology of lockdown series george and i are constantly discussing how uh, fear is a triggering mechanism and the population, uh, one of the things that I thought when this whole thing first started was that an effective leader, if a real pandemic was happening, the first thing you'd want to do is to try to tamp down the fear so that the population is thinking critically and rationally. Uh, and instead, as we've already described, um, most of the mainstream narrative has just been incredibly fear-producing. Uh, to try to get the entire population to um, just live in a fear-based, which which triggers you into this fight or flight mode, and then suddenly we're dealing with a lot of people that are that are just straight in dealing with their own coping mechanisms to deal with fear, and they're not really capable of thinking critically. So um, maybe you could touch on the history. I think there's been, as you said, in the '60s or '70s or '80s. There wasn't any kind of fertile ground to, to, to affect people like this, but certainly in the last 20 years, we've seen time and time again uh, the mainstream narrative uh, initially about SARS, MERS. We've heard about the H1N1 pandemic, which the WHO blew out of proportion. We've been, uh, I think, setting this groundwork of fear with the Zika virus, West Nile virus, you know, over and over again, every year or two, we're going to get hammered for a couple of months about, oh, no, there's another scary virus. Um, and then now, I think maybe that set set the groundwork for this whole coronavirus narrative where everybody is just scared to the bejesus. And, and then what effect does that have then on the human psyche to make them so easily manipulatable? I'll put it very, very simply, because this is a very, very important uh, 
complex and rich topic that we could spend hours on. I, I think books should be written about this. Right. But I'm going to put it very, very simply before we get lost, before I get lost in the weeds. Because <laughs> it's very easy to get lost in it's the weeds. That's a deep rabbit hole there, Doug. Yeah, Doug. yeah for, sure, go, for sure. It can go in any level of directions, in, in an, like in an ant's nest. But I want the, 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 re, the viewers of this to, to be able to take this away, and then they can do their own rabbit hole searches themselves if they wish. And it's the following. Fear is necessary for state control of the population, mm -hmm. period. There is no exception to this in, in history. And just look at the 20th century. Every single state control totalitarian regime, whether it is a left-wing regime, a right-wing regime, a racist regime, Soviet communist, it does not matter. It's actually irrelevant because any totalitarian top-down control of a country, of a population is built on fear. Without the fear, the control crumbles. Doug, we that said is, this in the... Yeah, sorry. That's where this comes from. That is mm -hmm. the most important thing for everyone to take away from this. Think we, about this. We, we said that a different way, too, is you know you can only be controlled for as long as you allow, your, allow yourself to be controlled. And, Doug, we said in our show the other day that control is an absolute illusion. Now, spell me the first three letters of illusion. And you'll see what the government, this top-down tyranny, tyrannical garbage, is doing to the minds of our citizens who are still what I perceive to be gullible, age-regressed children who are not capable of questioning the narrative or unpacking it in such a way that this kind of sensibility ensues. Their conversations are very short. The moment you question the narrative, you have a problem. They start to pathologize you for confronting the illogic in their willingness to be controlled and not push back or stand up and fight back. And I believe right now this is the most important time in our lifetimes where the fight back should be displayed by every citizen who's available to do it. This not if you're afraid. Not if you're afraid, though. <laughs> You know, this is what's so fascinating, actually, Dr. McDonald, something that George and I have talked about is that once you've been triggered through the fear into these coping mechanisms, then you're actually aiding and abetting the authority figure, right? I mean, the authority wants to make everybody wear masks. And if you don't do, and then everybody's scared so that, you know, they don't think about it. They just put the mask on. And, um, and then when somebody is taking a step back, taking a few deep breaths, going, wait a minute, you know, I'm looking for randomized control studies that say that, that, that masks prevent viral spread and I can't find anything. I don't think, I don't feel like wearing a mask. I think it's doing damage to my kids. Suddenly there's a large portion of the population that is willing to attack you. And I've noticed a lot of this shame-based uh, attacking going on. Um, so that's, what's just so fascinating to me. Like psychologically speaking, it's like a self-replicating system, right? Where that you get injected with the fear from the mainstream narrative, the authority figure takes control. And then the, the population will literally, um, perpetuate the control like we're seeing citizens spying on other citizens calling on on their neighbor that's having a party or a barbecue or not wearing a mask it's insane well this is doug you just pointed to stage three of my my three-step uh summary of the destruction and takeover of our society and i say our society meaning human society not just the united states which is number one fear number two delusional psychosis and the third one which you just introduced is group control. A government doesn't have enough police to control and monitor every single person. It's, it's too expensive, it's too inefficient. So even the Chinese don't have enough police to do this. So what do they do? They create a social point system. And the social point system is calculated, reported, and monitored by your neighbors, by your parents, by your friends, family. Now, the police have backed away. You don't see people being arrested, pulled off of, um, surfboards in Santa Monica, like you did over the summer. What you see are your fellow citizens shaming, attacking, criticizing, ostracizing you because you don't follow the rules. Right. Humil humiliation. Wow. Group humiliation and social ostracization is far more powerful than a ticket or a fine. In fact, if the police went and arrested people and gave them tickets, it might create a movement 
an organized movement of people to protest it. Right. But what do you do if you're a parent and all of your your girlfriends say, you know, we'd love to have Johnny come in, into our playgroup, but we require our kids to be safe. Do you require your kids to be safe? Yeah. What do you mean? Well, that means we have to distance and mask. Well, I don't believe in that. Oh, you're one of those. You don't believe in the science. You don't right. believe in <laughs> Well, you know what? You know what, Mary? She, little little Johnny's not welcome in our playgroups until you get with the program. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This, this is, is the awesome. Everywhere. And I'm not making this stuff up. I have parents mm -hmm. that call me into my, my, my office and do Zoom sessions or they'll bring their kids in face-to-face -face with me in the office. And they'll say... I don't have anywhere to have my kids go. They don't have anywhere to play. I said, what do you mean? There's everywhere to play. You can go to the, go to the playground in the park. Well, we go to the playground in the park and there are senior citizens, elderly people sitting there in the park as sort of self-appointed volunteers to call out the parents that bring their kids to the playground and don't put wow. them on the mask before the kids get on the slide and say, you, you over there, is that your kid? Yeah, that's my kid. What's wrong? He's not wearing a mask. He's not welcome here. And then everyone else hears it and they all start backing away. Oh, right. that's the plague. That's incredibly powerful. And it's that's happening that everywhere. Exactly, because there's this emotional contagion. You know, I mean, dysfunction, you know, all families are a social system. Here you're in the public. That's another social system. And the moment you are publicly exposed and people really are responding to energy. They're not responding to any details or facts or logic, right. it's merely the emotional energy that hooks them. And before the thinking brain is time to ponder what's really going on, they've already developed a response. Usually right. that response is aligned with the leader, the person who struck the match. Remember, it's always the first follower that transforms the lone nut into a leader. <laughs> and I, I think, you know, these people, the third person values the second person. They emulate the second person, not the leader who started this, who lit the match, so to speak, who's publicly shaming. This is like a firecracker. It literally is a domino effect. It's going on in grocery stores right now. I have several cases where people are literally being attacked. And the moment one person buys into it, whoa, you've got a powerful uh, a form of intimidation happening in the grocery store, in the grapefruit aisle, where mom and Johnny are simply going out to get a couple of things and they get bombarded with six or seven other people because one lady, I think the name is Karen, decided. To... Right. <laughs> well, Don't get me and... wrong. I like to name Karen, but you understand the meaning. <laughs> so. You know, the thing about this that really blows my mind, Dr. McDonald, is that we're not geniuses here figuring this out. Like, psychiatrists understand that fear is a trigger mechanism. When it comes to the mainstream narrative or the working of the, of the, of the whole system, not to get too conspiratorial here, but do you suspect that there may be some kind of psychological operation happening? I mean, do you think that there is a concerted effort somewhere within the authority apparatus that is intentionally using this this fear to trigger these coping mechanisms um as a as a as a as a a mechanism or a, you know a, through a larger plan of social control well i have no doubt that that's the case just mm -hmm. yesterday the los angeles unified school district's marketing arm in concert with microsoft published a one minute and 38 second video in anticipation of the orders for schools to be reopened on April right. now moved to April 15th and now God knows when, because the UTLA, as I said, just published their vote results this morning that 92% of all the teachers abjectly refused to return to school ever period end of story. And that video, which opened up this cute little video of a little girl, it's a cartoon and her father sitting at home with her mother having breakfast and the Microsoft logo pops up in the beginning of the video. Right. Los Angeles Unified with Microsoft announces, you know, little birds singing in the background, the school fast pass. And there's this applause. The little girl says, Mommy, I know I have to go back to school, but I'm scared. I don't want to hurt you or anyone else. And the mother says, That's okay, little daughter. We have the school safe pass. Right. And then this whole series of explanation comes up of how you can go back to school. And you know what it involves? 
It involves logging in every day, checking off boxes of what symptoms you do or don't have and who you've been in contact with and who you haven't. When you've scheduled your daily test to show that you're negative and safe. And then three, uh, creating an identification code with a QR code, actual QR code that then prints yeah, on I a piece that. of paper that you carry with you to be scanned into school in a line while observing social distancing and masking, of course, to go to school. Wow. And the girl does all this, comes home, gets back in the car as her father picks her up and she's, she's got her mask on, of course, and she's distancing and she's got her little fast pass. And she says, Daddy, I was so scared before, but now I feel so safe because I have the Microsoft Daily LASU Fast Pass, and I'm not going to hurt you or anyone else. And the father right. is looking in the rearview mirror with what? a smile. I'm not making this up. I put it on my Facebook page yesterday. This is real. This was just published 48 hours ago. Right. This is propaganda Absolutely. this is definitional propaganda and it's in concert with the large probably the largest computer software technology organization in the world microsoft and bill gates LAUSD, second largest system of school public school in the entire united states of america this is happening everywhere i'm just i'm giving descriptive example here because this is so on point to your question and it's happening everywhere I think there are two groups of people right now. They're the awake and they're the asleep. The people who are awake are not necessarily the smartest. They're not necessarily the most research driven. They just think rationally and they're more or less immune to fear. The other group are asleep and there's three subcomponents of the asleep group. And there's only three. I'm actually, the third one is really more in the awake group, but I'm, I'm putting them in the asleep group because I think they're harming people. And right. It's the, following. It's the ignorant, it's the cowardly and it's the malicious. Mm -hmm. The malicious are not asleep. They're very awake. They're the ones that are creating the psychological operation, the propaganda, and they are using the ignorant and the cowardly as useful idiots to accomplish their goals and to oppress, suppress, and ultimately destroy those who are awake. The gullible, the blind right. followers, the need for approval by these absolute crazy people well and we're and we're seeing them as you're describing we're seeing them just herd everyone into essentially a complete surveillance state it's amazing if they can get these kinds of systems in in schools and of course we're hearing now we've seen in israel uh, these vaccine passes that are coming out already in some countries soon to come to a state near you <laughs> Um, and this is where clearly it's heading. It's it's really uh, it, it would be it would something I probably wouldn't have believed just a, a few years ago that they would have had the power to do this. But these um, utilizing this fear based psychological uh, weaponization, I would call it, you know, suddenly everyone is open to this kind of behavior, tossing constitutional rights out the window uh, and begging to participate in these kinds of draconian systems. I mean, it's it's just uh, it's fascinating. We got to figure out a way to push back. I think. Well, this is this is a dress rehearsal. This past year has been a dress rehearsal for a totalitarian takeover of our nations, plural. Mm -hmm. I, and I'm I'm not I'm not embellishing. I'm not exaggerating, and I'm not trying to make this dramatic. I think this is exactly what's happened. Forget this virus. This virus is is distraction. Like it's the it's a pawn in the larger process. Right. There's been a foray, forays, plural, from the very beginning, pushing, throwing things out there, sort of like uh, market research by different governments to see what people would be willing to take, what they'd be willing to tolerate. Hey, you know, we think masks might be a good idea. Suddenly, everybody's wearing masks, not just at home with their their guests, but outdoors in workplaces. And the people that threw the idea, I went, wow, we just suggested people wear masks. And not only are they agreeable, but they're actually shaming other people who aren't wearing them. This is amazing. What else can we do? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should do daily testing. People certainly wouldn't put up with that. Oh, my God. They, they wear the test as a badge of pride. I got a negative test day. Like, I voted sticker. Well, what else can we do? Well, in China, in order to enter China, you have to submit to an anal swab. Yeah. Enter China, you have to drop your pants and have someone stick a probe in your ass to Unreal. test 
coronavirus, right. which is a respiratory illness. Can you give me any medical justification for looking for a virus in your butt? They want to see how far. Nose? They want to see how far we can go. Exactly. How far will they go? Yeah. That is exactly how much right. compliance we get. If they're willing to do that, they'll do this. If they're willing to, you know, wear the mask, they'll do, you know, they'll take the vaccine. Uh, if they won't take the vaccine, they'll take it in the ass. Exactly. This is this is all strategic manipulation, extreme controlling invasion of a person's brain in 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 the worst ways I have ever seen in my life. And with that, listen, you said Dr. McDonald, you know, we could do this all day. We could do this all week and probably not talk Absolutely. about the same thing twice. There's so much crap going on. And I'm going to save some for our next episode that we're working on right now with Nurses Against Lockdowns, Global Nurses. We're looking at bringing on some incredible people who have done some incredible work that the line works with, has been connected with, has been supporting legally. And I greatly appreciate these ladies who are going to be bringing on. They've become my friends. I, I deeply respect their courage and bravery and honesty that they've brought to this. They were shunned. They were abused. They were threatened. Uh, manipulated. Many of them have experienced a lot of their own pushback, as you mentioned, uh, Mark, dealing with these malicious people mm -hmm. who really have taught us that the new hate speech is telling the truth. Well, we've got to work hard to make that, make that uh, uh, known to people that we're not going to tolerate that. People do need to stand up, develop some boundaries, develop uh, at least be willing to take the risk of feeling afraid to do what's right rather than continue to be afraid and believe what is wrong. So, Dr. Mark, I want to thank you for joining us on our launch episode of Behind the Line, The Facts yeah. and the Fiction. I think we definitely deciphered that. We want to bring you back to do that again on another day. But the next time, we're all going to be together with the Nurses Against lockdown we're looking at sarah chajunian and her partner christian who've been doing a ton of work with various other colleagues who have decided to break the rules and to tell the truth and to stand up to let people know that what we're living is a lie folks thank you so much mark do you want to tell us where we can get a hold of you i post uh everything that i find to be truthful and relevant including the video i just mentioned from the LAUSD on my Facebook page, which is open and public. And the Facebook page is Mark McDonald, MD. Beautiful. I'm joined by my co-host, Doug McKenty of The Shift. Doug and I have been doing a lot of work with the psychology of lockdowns. I believe we're on our 10th episode, if not the 11th. We've been uh, relying on John Bradshaw's rollout of mystification. It deals mostly with layman's references. We don't want to get too jargony with people because we can lose you. But don't be afraid to pull up the dictionary every now and then if you find some words that you have difficulty deciphering. It's always good to learn some new meaning so you can probably deepen your understanding about what you're living right now and what your kids are about to live after you leave. Let's all take this seriously, folks. Do the right research. Doug, where do you want them to go? Um, first of all, I just want to say, uh, Dr. McDonald, thank you so much. And uh, I also just wanted to let people know, because the work you're doing with America's Frontline Doctors is so important. Is that um, americasfrontlinedoctors.com where they can find information? The best way to get to it is AFLDS, which stands for America's Frontline Doctors Summit.com. So AFLDS.com is the main page. And there's great documentation, videos, and links on there from Dr. Simone Gold and other frontline doctors about truth and medical information that everyone should be reading. Excellent. Yeah, you guys have been doing such incredible work. I really appreciate it. Um, and I also just want to say really quickly that I also... I'm just so happy to, to be putting forth this, this psychological angle. I've spent years trying to argue with people rationally on social media. Uh, and finally, I had to get to a place where it was like, why isn't any of my information getting through? Um, and I started to realize that it's actually there's so much emotional work and so much psychological work that has to be done in the background and that this is really 
um, this is really where the battle is being fought in the area of our of our of our minds and our feelings. It's not something that we're going to win through argument. It's something that we're going to win through emotional healing. So, um, thanks for bringing your perspective to to the table here, and I think our listeners are going to really get a lot from this point of view. So, uh, I'll just with that let people know that uh, my name is Doug McKenty. I am the host of the Shift with Doug McKenty podcast. I've got uh, hours of free content. Uh, including the Psychology of Lockdown series I've been working on with George at www.theshiftnow.com. You can find me on Twitter at dmckinty. My personal Facebook page, Doug McKinty, is actually the one where most of the action happens, uh, or also all of my Shift episodes are uh, on YouTube at The Shift. So thanks, everybody, and thanks again, Dr. McDonald, for uh, participating in this first episode of Behind the Line. George, you want to... You bet. You want to take it away, George? Thank you, Doug. And I'm George Roach. I'm the executive director of Lion International and the Lion Canada. And we encourage everybody to follow us on Twitter at the Lion Media, the Lion Canada, at the Lion Canada, on Instagram. And I also believe we're now on Telegram at the Lion Canada. Feel free to email me any questions, any concerns, ideas, or comments. You're more than welcome. Media at the lioninternational.com. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on our first show of Behind the Line, the facts and the fiction from Toronto, Canada, and from L.A., the United States. I wish you all a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.